0: Welcome to Kingdom.Think. Today we're covering 2 Kings 9 and 10, Proverbs 14 and Galatians 3. As always, I'm going to read Proverbs straight through and um, yeah, because you just can't summarize this thing. And this is Kingdom.Think where we're reading the Bible in one year. And um, so here we go. This is chapter 14, 14, not four. The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. Ouch. Whoever fears the Lord walks upright, but those who despise him are devious in their ways. A fool's mouth lashes out with pride, but the lips of the wise protect them. Where there are no oxen, the manger manger is empty, but from the strength of the ox come abundant harvest. An honest witness does not deceive, but a false witness pours out lies. The mocker seeks wisdom and finds none, but knowledge comes easily to the discerning. Stay away from... A fool, for you will not find knowledge on their lips. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. Fools mock at making amends for sins, but goodwill is found among the upright. Each heart knows its own bitterness, and no one else can share its joy. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Even in laughter the heart may ache and rejoicing may end in grief. The faithless will be fully repaid for their ways and the good rewarded for their for theirs. The simple believe anything but the prudent give thought to their steps. The wise fear the Lord and shun evil, but a fool is hot-headed and yet feels secure. The wise fear the Lord and shun evil, but a fool's but a fool is hot-headed. And yet, feel secure. A quick tempered person does foolish things, and the one who devises evil schemes is hated. The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. Evildoers will bow down to the presence of good, and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. The poor are shunned even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. Hmm, that one's one to ponder on. It is a sin to despise one neighbors, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. Do, Do not those who plot evil go astray, but those who plan what is good find love and faithfulness. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. The wealth of the wise is their crown, but the folly of fools yields folly. The folly of fools yields folly. A truthful witness saves lives, but a false witness is deceitful. Whoever fears the Lord has a a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. A large population is a king's glory, but without subjects a prince is ruined. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. A heart of peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker but whoever is kind to the needy honors god when calamity comes the wicked are brought down but even in death the righteous seek refuge in god wisdom reposes the heart of the discerning and even among fools she lets herself be known righteousness exalts a nation but sin condemns any people a king delights in wise in a wise servant but a shameful servant arouses his fury. Whoa. A shameful servant arouses his fury. That was Proverbs 14. Now I'm going to do 2 Kings 9 and 10. It's story after story about kings that are good, bad, killings. Why do we read this? not because we're trying to be entertained because one could say well I don't like killing so I'm not going to read this chap this book or one might say I don't really like history I'm not going to read this however um what else could they say I don't like all the betrayal the going back and forth however what we can say is the reason it's so important that you read this it's like it's like if you're going to b- make a garden and maybe you don't really like the hard work of of preparing the soil maybe it gives you blisters on your hand when you're using the the plow or the hoe thing and you're turning over the soil maybe it's hot out and and the dirt is hard maybe it's the dirt is rocky and so you're hitting it and it's just you don't like it why do you do it because you have to prepare the soil so you may not like these stories but you have to prepare the soil what soil are we talking about maybe stories to come, how can you jump and even read something as awesome as Proverbs and not know where it's come from, how it's evolved, not know the life of King Solomon, what he did good, what he did bad, how he was led astray, where he was had repentance, where he was righteous. If you can't see those patterns and you cannot see those patterns by skipping things like this, So that's why we read even stories that we don't like. It's preparing the soil even for our current day. Because if we can't see the evil that is possible when God was literally there with them, then we're not going to be able to see the evil that's happening to this day. If we don't see betrayals happening in real life, then how can we recognize betrayal that's happening in our own life? And we might think, oh, well, these are kings of old age. Could they be politicians? Could they be representation of people in our own families? So that's why we read these things. Or maybe God just wants us to be wise and we can't gain wisdom unless we learn from these stories. That's my take on reading things that aren't very exciting because that's exactly what's happening in chapter 9 and 10. Not super exciting. Basically, the king... um, a God told Elisha to go, um, tell this one guy. What's his name? Jehu who is a commander in the army. To now anoint him king, and he is going to and tell him he is to kill the whole family of Ahab and the whole, all the servants and everything in the, in the house of Ahab, because Ahab we know that line of kings has been serving, um serving Baal for years for generations. So the whole line. And he had apparently 70 sons. They all had to be killed. So it's not a pretty story. It does go into detail. You can watch it unfold and it's worth reading because remember we're preparing the soil. We're learning things that we're you're learning things now that you may need in the future as you read further along, or as you need in your own life. And if you skip things because you don't like it, you might miss some key passages, some key stories. So that's exactly what Jehu did, and goes into detail how he killed the whole clan, the whole family, the whole, um, not just the family, but the servants and the workers and everything. And then he actually said, okay, we're going to have... um we're going to do an honor to Baal. And he was tricking all the servants of Baal, all the priests of Baal come to the temple and we're going to make a sacrifice to Baal. So they all showed up because they believed him that he was going to worship Baal. And then he killed them all, got rid of all the, and destroyed everything that had to do with Baal worship. And he even went to go kill Jezebel um, in but. It's funny, it says, when Jezebel heard about it, she put on eye makeup, arranged her hair, and looked out the window. And Jehu entered the gate, and she asked, have you come to for in peace? Um, You zimmery, you murdered of your ma- master. Anyways, he tells the people, throw her out the window. And they threw her out the window, and she died. So Jezebel's gone. <laughs> but it's funny, the makeup thing. So I was kind of like well, reading the side notes and things like that. Why did she put the makeup on? Was she trying to seduce him? No, the note said here that it looked, maybe she was, but it appeared that the makeup gave her power, confidence to stand up to Jehu. Um, then we move on to chapter 10, where he continues to destroy anything that has to do with Ahab. Then the king of Israel, um, I think he approaches them. and say, are we good? I don't know what's happening there exactly, but um, what happened there? Oh, so he destroyed everything of Baal, but guess what? There is a part here. See, if you don't read the whole thing, you'll miss something. It says in verse 29, however, so Jehu destroyed Baal worship in Israel. However, he did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit, the worship of the golden calves in Bethel and Dan. It doesn't seem, it's just one quick passage, but maybe that plays a key role later on, and we didn't miss it. So there you have it. That was 2 Kings 9 and 10, and we are going to move on to Galatians 3. So in this chapter, Galatians 3, Paul is giving the Galatians, kind of I don't want to say he's giving them a lesson and just listen to the way he says it. you foolish galatians you who was bewitched who has bewitched you before your very eyes jesus christ was clearly portrayed as crucified i would like to learn just one thing from you did you receive the spirit of the works by the law or by believing what you heard are you so foolish after, after beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? So remember, he still Paul still has a little bit of a spiciness to him, a little bit of a sass. In the previous chapters, he was very kind, but now he's like laying it on him because he wants to teach him a lesson. And I think he's highly sensitive about this topic because Paul was definitely one of those who followed the law to the T. And remember, um, he was killing Jesus followers because. Th- in his mind, they were completely disobeying the law. That's why I think he's highly sensitive to this topic. So when he finds people doing that, I think he gets very zealous. Um, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. And then we move down on verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for you, for, for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing be given in, to Abraham might come to to the Gentiles through, G, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So he's basically saying, you are He's try- he goes and he teaches them how to be Christians, how to be Christ followers, and then they lean towards just being legalistic. And, but Paul is talking about, okay, so here's always the question, and this is what people always do. As if we're not supposed to follow the law, and then people say, well, the Old Testament doesn't apply anymore because Jesus came onto the scene. That means we don't have to follow all those laws. Does that make sense? not exactly because didn't god give for example the 10 commandments to um uh to moses what does that mean that all of a sudden they don't matter no so i was digging into that so how do we um how do we answer that obeying the law could not could not be the basis for a relationship with god otherwise how could abraham have been declared righteous faith is the only basis for that relationship. The law was never intended to take the place of faith. This is not from the Bible. This is a little separate passage that I found. The law was never intended to take the place of faith. It was never designed to give the people of Israel a list of rules by which they could earn their salvation. And they were using the law as a means to earn their salvation. That was not true. Rather, the law served only to show them how, how, Uh, How far short of God's standards? Yikes. They fell, revealing their need for salvation, revealing their need for salvation that comes only through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ. The law exposed sin so that people would be led to Christ. Yes, as the only answer to sin. Isn't that so good? Because, for example, the Jewish people, they still follow the Old Testament law to the T and they are blessed abundantly, but they don't have Jesus as their salvation, right? So not, obviously not all, but you know what I mean. Okay. So then we go on to, um, verse 23, before the coming of this faith, we were held on a cust in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come, Would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Isn't that so good? So does a lot of people will say well we don't need to follow the law. Again, not true. That exposes sin. And God doesn't want us to sin because it separates us from him. And um I also heard it said that God doesn't want us to sin because as human as humans, he forgives but we still remember. We still have to deal with the consequences of that sin. We still have to suffer. Even though God forgives us, we as humans, our brain still remembers. And we still suffer. Um, because there's consequences here in this human reality. Even though God forgives. Isn't that wild? So that's why the laws still are totally relevant. But our salvation is not gained through those laws right? So good. Our salvation is only through Jesus Christ. Our relationship, um, is only through faith, but the laws, they still apply here in this reality. As long as you're living here on this earth, those laws are not going to gain your salvation, but they're going to give you your fruits of the spirit and, um, a peaceful life and working well with other humans. So, so good, right? Okay, that was Second Kings 9 10, Proverbs 14, Galatians 3. There you go, folks. Have a great day.